So I um, read Beatrix Potter when I was a little girl. My mum read Beatrix Potter when she was a little girl. She had like the 23 books Mm -hmm. collection. I believe we sold them at a car boot, which was stupid. One of those box sets is like a hundred pounds or something. Yeah, they are really pricey. And they're Mm -hmm. little books. (laughs) But they're cute. They're nice. They're, um, yeah, kind of spooky stories because like bad stuff happens to the animals. I remember that freaking me out. And is it Roly Poly Pudding? No, the one where the little cat is in the, and the rats put him in the dessert. I can't remember which one. Samuel Whiskers is a rat wearing a suit. Anyway, (laughs) complicated feelings about that rat and male figures in my life and pudding and just, you know, very scary. And also we had uh, Beatrix Potter. I don't know if this made it to America, but there was a Beatrix Potter TV series. And it started with like a live action woman walking around the town talking to her animals painting you know i remember this and then yeah and then it's and it's a great cartoon they did like a beautiful job at recreating her watercolors and that yeah just watching that just on repeat and just getting scared of the rat oh i'm going to like that that was childhood try and find that cartoon right now for my daughter i very like very similar story my mother actually bought those books for me and God only knows where they are now. I used to um, trace the drawings, though, like nonstop. I was obsessed with the (laughs) illustrations. Um, So I can still sort of like draw Peter Rabbit because that is like all I did as a kid. And then I don't know when it was. It was a few years ago. There was an exhibit at the National Portrait Gallery of like all of her her drawings for the Peter Rabbit series. And they were so cool to see up close. Insanely talented. She like drew from life. And I think that's one of the things that's amazing is like, they just look like animals. Yeah, they do. That, And so it's wild that they're like wearing clothes because then you're like, animals can wear clothes. Yeah, you're right. It's like, it's not too stylized or cartoony or anything. They are just like these really delicate, like beautiful drawings of animals wearing tiny jackets and as might come clearer the more we talk about Beatrix Potter in this episode and future episodes she would have hated that James Corden movie hated it (laughs) hated it hated it Welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that explores the lives and works of women writers from the 18th, 19th and 20th centuries. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. And I am your host, Lauren Burke. And this week, we are talking about the lad, the legend, Beatrix Potter. Now, it's likely you will have heard of Beatrix Potter. She was the creator of characters like Peter Rabbit, Jemima Puddle Duck, and Jeremy Fisher. And her collection of 23 tales were these child-sized illustrated insights into the world of animals. She produced 30 books in total, but as well as being a writer, she's also known for her conservation work. And I have a fun fact about Beatrix Potter, just locked and loaded for this very moment. While researching her, we found out that she actually read Uncle Tom's Cabin by, drum roll please, Harriet Beecher Stowe. So take your shots, guys. I just- Take a shot. I hope people like sit listening to this with a bottle, with a shot glass. You always have to be prepared, especially this season for Harriet Beecher Stowe, I have to say. Always Beecher Stowe prepared. 
Yes. Please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to get that HBS moment in there. Uh, let's take this back to last November when we attended the Lit Houses Conference in the Lake District. We found ourselves just a stone's throw away from Hilltop, which is uh, Beatrix Potter's beloved farm. Now, unfortunately, Hilltop was closed in November for the season, but I reached out to the Beatrix Potter Society and they were kind enough to connect me with three members of the society who also serve as volunteers at Hilltop. So today you're going to be hearing snippets of our little meetup with Trudy, Carol and Janet as we give you a crash course in all things Beatrix and Hilltop. So Hannah, why don't you go ahead and kick things off and uh, give us a little Beatrix Potter backstory. So she was born Helen Beatrix Potter on the 28th of July, 1866 in Kensington, London. That's the posh bit. Mm. And she was the daughter of Rupert and Helen. And she had a younger brother called Walter Bertram, who was six years younger than her. And I think this is interesting, but both Beatrix and Bertram went by their middle names, not their first names. Ah. And some people think that's weird, but... Both of my parents go by their middle names as well. Oh, not really? Not their first names. Yeah, both of them. So I think it's like really normal. And I always just assumed that's why you gave people a middle name so they could just like have a spare one. Yeah. Well, I can see with um with Beatrix because her mom was also called Helen. So I could see. Yeah. I could see that. But Walter, he's just Walter like, I like, just I like Bertram like better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things that I really loved learning about Beatrix Potter was that unlike some of the authors that we cover on the show, she actually like came from money Mm. and through wealth, you get better experiences, perhaps it affords freedoms. And that just wasn't the case for Beatrix. So I'm going to revive an old hashtag here, new money, new problems. The Potter family fortune came from trashy, trashy trade. And if you think of Mama Hale in North and South, Uh you will get, I think, probably a good idea of what Helen Potter was like. So on her father's side, her granddad printed calico. And on her mother's side, her granddad was a cotton merchant and a shipbuilder. Okay. So very trade. They were from the North, lots of family in Manchester. And I just think... That really affected Helen and Rupert, who were just trying to distance themselves from that Interesting. as much as possible. Down yeah. in down in posh London. Yeah, down in the posh bit. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. All right. Got another fun fact for you. Fun fact number two. Potter's dad was a keen amateur photographer, and both sides were from Manchester and had Unitarian connections. So I see where this is going. It's Mm -hmm. no surprise that there is a photograph of a very young Beatrix Potter with our very own William Gaskell. So in the holidays, the family Mm. did leave London. They left every summer. And they would take these like extended trips to Scotland, always Scotland, always the same, always the same place. Mm -hmm. And those trips really instilled in Beatrix a love of the outdoors. And I think it was those family holidays standing in like such stark contrast to her life in the city that made her love being outside and the natural world and animals as much as possible. It's like the only freedom she really had. Mm -hmm. At 16... 
they I think they rented like a castle and it just they couldn't rent it this one year so they went to the Lake District instead it's like almost Scotland yeah but not quite so they rented a different castle <laughs> like this is how so much money dream they rented yeah. not like a room they rented the castle so they rented Ray Castle which has these which has insane views over Lake Windermere which is the lake that we stayed on in the oh, Lake District. That's okay. the one that we were looking at, but not not from a castle, right. from a cottage. Yeah, maybe next time. Right, hopefully. We'll get that bonnet's money in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on that trip, Beatrix Potter uh, just fell in love with the Lake District mm-hmm. completely. And it was the beginning of basically like a lifelong relationship of just going back and loving the community and the people. And like I said before, the wildlife. So this love for the natural world paired really well with her knack for painting, which was a skill that both of her parents like actively encouraged in both Bertram and Beatrix. So they had painting sets, they had painting teachers, they had as many pets as they wanted. And so those two things just became the absolute cornerstone of the Potter children's lives. And they had like two rabbits called Peter Piper and Benjamin Bunny, uh, Benjamin Bouncer, sorry, not <laughs> Benjamin Bunny. That's the character. They had mice, squirrels, lizards. And I think I've said it before on the show, but Beatrix Potter like boiled the carcasses of naturally deceased mm-hmm. animals so that she could like study their anatomy better. So she had, she had like a really scientific mind. Interesting. She even had a bat, Hannah. A bat. A bat. She had like other crazy animals that I just didn't include in the list. It's wild. (laughs) But going back to her education, she said that she was pleased that she never went to school because it would have rubbed off on her individuality, which is is something she was proud of. Her imagination was allowed to thrive because she was probably bored. You know, very lonely. Very lonely. Yeah, especially when um, Bertram went off to school. But she wasn't allowed to play with other children yeah. either. Yeah, because she. You know, and if you read Linda Lear's book, she describes her at this particular time when she went to present that paper as a very awkward girl, mm. very awkward, with very few social skills really, because she'd never actually mixed with a lot of children. It's not just children, is it? Her parents yeah. also. Not, yeah. It's, you know, they, they weren't like going on calls and taking her and like yeah. receiving loads yeah. of people. It's all very controlled. But again, I've read, and I don't know what the source is now, but I've read, and it could have been Linda Lear, I don't know, that said that her parents were never truly accepted into London society because they had their northern accents. Because they were wealthy, they were upper middle class because of their money, but it was new money. They weren't aristocratic. I mean, she was never presented at court or anything like that. So they were rich with new money and they got these lovely Manchester accents as well. So mother, you know, they were never quite accepted into society. So probably, you know, mother's sort of ambitions that her, you know, her daughter needed to marry well um, you know, it was probably, you know, no wonder she objected because they probably weren't good And enough. I think that explains sometimes why her mother, Helen Potter, was so controlling of her in that she wanted her to marry at least a barrister because that's who her father was. And, of course, when Beatrix came up to Hilltop, she was never allowed to live there full time. Um, and she was 39 when she bought yeah, it. Yeah. So it's always this idea that perhaps to marry social etiquette at the time I suppose your daughter 
marries and then looks after yeah. mother. <clears throat> well, and then, I, I love that story about the doctor who, um, is it her father's health is suffering? And then the doctor's like, I'm going to just recommend that you go to Europe for a bit. And then Beatrix says to him, like, don't, don't send me away with them. Mm-hmm. And it's because she doesn't. No. She just can't bear the thought of just like being on her own, just being like even more isolated. No. She's just with them, she's just their carer, and that's like. I guess they were very limited in their outlook. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, they were, they were, they were, they were happy with her art, you know, to start with. You know, I mean, they encouraged her, they paid for expensive painting lessons for her, didn't they? But at the point that she became, started selling things, well, that was too much like trade. All right. And we are back with fun fact number three. So just like Anne Lister, Beatrix Potter wrote a coded journal from the time she was 14 until the age of 30. In her journal, she recorded her experiences growing up in the upper middle classes and expresses her boredom and desire for independence. This is very, very similar to Anne Lister, too. I think also just the money wise as well. And both feel so isolated. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I love the coding of the journal it's like they have the financial freedom but none of the social freedom mm-hmm. and they're both super ambitious like beatrix potter was so ambitious and like business savvy so in 1893 she wrote a letter to the sick child of one of her governesses and it told the story of four little rabbits called flopsy mopsy cottontail and peter and I have a fun fact. I had a pet rabbit called Cottontail and Tim had a pet rabbit called Peter and Cottontail ripped Peter's nose off. Oh, God. And then they both died. Sad, <laughs> sad story. Of that rabbit disease. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, the illustrated letter that she wrote to, I think his name was Norman. Little, little babby Norman. I think he had like a broken leg or something. Um, that became like the basis of the book Peter Rabbit. So she, at this point, had had all of this previous success in selling her illustrations for like greeting cards. And I think she did editorial work. And so she began this quite dogged pursuit of publication. And she faced a bunch of rejections, including being rejected from Frederick, Frederick Warren and Co, which I struggle to say. So eventually she's just like I've got money I've been selling cards I've got like this cash I'm just going to print it myself so she prints 250 copies of her book and distributes it to like friends and family and then the friends of friends and family and just it sells out really quickly and it gets into the hands of some writers I remember reading the biography and a bunch of names get dropped I've forgotten who they are <laughs> lots of people so some writers a lot of some coverage people get it people like it people like it there's a buzz and so eventually Frederick Warren and Co are like oh hang on we are gonna, gonna we are gonna that. go with that because I think she was friends with a guy called Canon Rawsley or Rawnley can't remember his name either mm-hmm. man um, and he was like a late district children's book writer and he had like improved her <laughs> book. He'd like oh, changed the, the writing mm-hmm. and that that's what was submitted originally. And then Frederick Warren, they were like, oh no, we like this printed one. This one's much better. Which is just hers. Yeah, they <laughs> didn't like his improvements, which nice. I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so she gets paid for the book. 
that she's just made a bunch of money on by selling it to everyone. Mm-hmm. And then they print more copies and it is a runaway success. And just in a really short space of time, she goes from just writing this one thing to writing two or three books a year. Uh, she follows it up with books like Squirrel Nutkin and The Tailor of Gloucester. And I think The Tailor of Gloucester, she again pays to have that one published herself and then uh-huh. sells it to the publisher. I think she does that twice. Man. Yeah. That's a, that's she's a, not hanging around. That's definitely like a very modern narrative as well, too. Mm-hmm. Like it's much more modern than the authors I feel like that we cover on this show. Yeah, and I think like for you and I especially, um, I think that probably that story is interesting just because of our own background mm-hmm. in like printing anthologies and selling anthologies and like working in indie comics. And if there's if there isn't a publisher for you, then you publish it yourself and you go to a comic show and you sell it. Mm-hmm. And I think I think Beatrix Potter would be at a comic show today. Oh honestly. yeah, I think absolutely. she'd be like a really middle class. London posh bin selling <laughs> lovely comics. I feel like I know her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've all met her. We've met her. So Peter Rabbit, really successful. And this other thing starts happening. So she's been working really closely with one of the Warn. So they're brothers. And I think he's the youngest. Norman Warn. Mm-hmm. Maybe that kid's not called Norman. Maybe his name's like Norbert or something, or like Robert. I can't remember. So <laughs> Very similar. Norman Warren is the publisher who she's been working closely with, and they fall in love Aww. through their letters. And if you haven't read her letters, I really recommend reading them because she's super sarcastic. She's bossy and also flirting. And he like builds her a little hutch for like her animals. And, you know, he buys her when she's working on the tale of two bad mice. He sends her dolls of one of his nieces and like dollhouse food so that she can paint them. Oh, and just it's such oh my gosh! And you should watch that Miss Potter film and you'll cry <laughs> and you'll cry. My beloved Ewan McGregor and Renee yeah, Zellweger. They get engaged, and then he dies <laughs> a month later, and it's really sad. And it's really sad for Beatrix Potter because. She has had this really restrictive, like, lack of social life right. childhood. She's found something she's incredible at. She's found a man who believes in her and encourages her and supports her. But he's in trade and his family, uh, her family don't support it. She's so close to happiness. And then, bam. Bam. Dead as a doornail. So. <laughs> we can't have a happy ending on this show. Well, actually, so you say that. Oh, that's true. So after Norman's death. That's more. That's not the end. She doesn't <laughs> die. Just no one dies. So obviously, she's gutted. And she turns her mind to the place where she knew so much happiness. And this farm is up for sale in the Lake District, Hilltop Farm. It's uh, in a village that she knows. And she decides to buy it with her own money, not her family's money. And although she still had to live at home because she was an unmarried woman... Mm-hmm. She visited as much as she could and she had tenants and she started dealing with this guy called William Helis, who was a local solicitor. And in 1912, she married him. Aww. And she became Mrs. Helis. And then he supported her in a different way because Norman was like her publishing boyfriend and William Helis was her like, I'm a farmy lad. I'm from the Lake District. Let's get a sheep. 
husband. Nice. Man. She needed that, right? though. She <laughs> needed that. <laughs> yeah, that's what... Yeah, it's a new start. So they marry in 1912. Um, She... Moves to the Lake District. I think in 19... Her dad died shortly after. And then she actually moves her mum to the Lake District. Okay. As well. So... But she's like 47 when this happens. She's like a grown-ass woman. Mm-hmm. She's spent her whole life with this family. And she finally leaves this oppressive home. She's in the Lake District with William. And they just start breeding Herdwick sheep. And that's basically what she does until 1943. That's... She breeds these sheep. She stops going by Beatrix Potter because she's now Mrs. Helix. Mm-hmm. Well, she didn't really care, like, for the fame, did she? No. She didn't care about the fame, but she did care about the money. (laughs) This is a woman, like, after my own heart. (laughs) And what's funny as well, but, so she cared about getting money, but she didn't care about spending money either. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's, like, a great thing. She just pours it all back out again. I just love her. I think it represented so much more. Yeah, she felt like she'd overpaid for it as well. Oh, she did. She did. She was paid two and a half times what it had been sold for because it had been. She wanted it and she had the money. And she was advised by London solicitors, not local. That's why she went to Healy's, you see, because she knew she'd been overcharged. The locals thought she was mad, didn't they? Because it had sold. It had um, changed hands about a year. Well, certainly about a year before it had been bought and sold, which I didn't realise until fairly recently but with the price that it went for you know sort of 12 months or so before she paid two and a half times that amount and I think she was she had a reputation of being quite careful with her money I mean she certainly didn't spend it on a wardrobe because I mean she was mistaken for a tramp yeah the tramp story story. and all sorts and if you look at photographs of it it seems to be the same woolen um, you know suit I mean it doesn't look any different to almost like the suit she got married in when you're boiling the bodies no no no, absolutely not but it was kind of like just different hats it was a straw hat in the summer and a woolen hat in the winter and then a bit of sacking that was her only vanity I think because when she was 19 she had um what was that sickness she had? Was it rheumatoid? Rheum- no, rheumatic fever. Rheumatic fever. And so she lost, or her hair was cut yeah. very, very short. Yeah, and so after that, she was convinced, so she would wear a mop cap Well, she indoors. had very fine hair. She and then she would wear a hat outdoors. Yeah. She was convinced that her hair was so weak and shouldn't be shown. But she, she, did, she wore clogs yeah. all yeah. the time, and yeah. no self-respecting farmer's yeah. wife would have ever gone out in the clogs, yeah. as she did. Yeah. And she used to wear sacking, but they did wear sacking in those yeah. days, did yeah. farmers, because there was no Gore-Tex, and that, they used to say that kept the water out. So yeah, one of the things that I love so much about this second stage in her life is that we remember her for being Beatrix Potter, but she had this whole other life as Mrs. Helis, and she was an activist she cared for her community and what was really nice about our chat with Janet Carroll and Trudy was that although I'd read I had like some part of it from reading her letters that she's not like talking about how great she is you know it's like very matter of fact it's like you you go do this I've done this it's very business like but then they were able to kind of talk about the impact that it had and the really kind things that she did for people and just that like community spirit and how she impacted the Lake District I just, yeah, I loved that. Beatrix has always um, had a social conscience as well because she 
paid for um, to were they mobile nurses, district nurses, nurses. nurses. Yeah, she set operating. Up district nurses. Um, and did you buy them a car or bicycles? Yeah, well, the first nurse was, um, she rode around on a bicycle, and uh, the second nurse she provided a car so that she could visit all the isolated yeah. farms. So Beatrix controlled, didn't she? Again, oh, yeah. she said where they had to go, but there was very much the social conscience. I think. When they so first world war, and they were sending all of their horses, and then uh, all of the farmers were like, We might need them for agriculture, for the farms, and you know, like making, distributing, and helping, you know, helping, helping the community, like trying to band together and say, like, We've got to stop, and then, well, you know, she was against free trade and all very Brexit. <laughs> oh, she she was a huge. I mean, she organised um, um, a, a voice locally against the um, ferry being stopped because they wanted to land the. Is it a boat plane? The, yeah, the aeroplane that used to land on Windermere. Yeah. They they wanted to run that more often, which would have stopped the ferry. Well, that was her link. And the locals link across yeah. to Windermere and Bowness, and she did she put up a fight with, uh, yeah. but in a man's name? Did yeah, she, she did. And she, she wrote used to the Times. Name, yeah, she? she wrote to the Times about that and put mm. in letters of protest, and mm. eventually that was all stopped. Yeah. She, um, the girl guards used to come and stay. They used to stay at Troutbeck originally, and then she brought them down to Hawkshead, and they were all from quite socially deprived areas in Gorton in Manchester, mm. and she used to buy them camping equipment. Um, and she used to visit on her birthday, on the 28th of July, they came to camp and they used to produce journals and she signed these journals um, of what their activities had been and all that they'd done during the week while they'd been there and they used to dress up in the characters and they used to give these books to her and uh, she used to sign their books as well. And, and she she gave them a watercolour, didn't yeah. she, so that they could make um, a tea towel or the, the Girl yeah. Guide movement could make a, uh, some linen in the kitchen, um, a tea towel, and, and it could be sold to raise proceeds. Yeah. So, you know, she she was a flirt. We had that at Hilltop. The last year, it's gone now. It's gone. It was in it on a chair, and it appeared um, because some ladies from the Girl Guide Association came, and um, one of them, um, the story is told that one girl was really ill and she was a, an appendicitis and Beatrix's chauffeur drove her all the way to Liverpool to Alder Hay. I mean, can you imagine? No motorways, no nothing. And uh, there were two young girls, they were only 18 in charge of those girls and one of them went to be a nurse and she kept in contact with her for the rest of her life. And a lot of the guides did. So all this talk, because there's always been this talk that she didn't actually like children, um, but they kept in contact with all through their lives. Yeah, where does that misconception come from? Well, apparently, it was the Shepherd yeah. Tom story. Yeah. His son, the, the, there was a there's a TV channel called ITV, um, in this, and um, it was they interviewed him, and he said that his father had told him that she did not like children. But I don't. I think what it was, it was a Victorian upbringing. I think children should be seen, seen and not, not heard. Right. And I yes. think she couldn't stand. They used to go robbing her apples out the the orchard. Mm. And, and doing things that they shouldn't do much fun to buy that. Mm -hmm. But she loved the girl guys because of course it's very structured, isn't it? And, and yeah. 
and I think, I think as well, that it, this, this one interpretation might be that when she was older, living at Castle Cottage, um, the people who perhaps were alive to tell their encounter today are old people. When she, they would have met her as a young child, perhaps pestered her, and she might be busy, and so her rebuff may have been strict or... Yeah. It all, all it takes yeah. is to like one crossword. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. Is it Roald Dahl? Roald Dahl got went up to. Uh, went up to Castle Cottage Gates. I heard. All right, I've not heard. I've not heard Roald. And said he he was looking for Beatrix Potter, and apparently the old lady in the garden said. Well, you found her, now go away. <laughs> she certainly used to be really rude to people that used to try yes. to find her because she had this kind of, well, it sounds a perfectly nice arrangement to me, but, you know, they, she had their marital home at Castle Cottage and then she kept Hilltop. It was hers. It was her most precious place of all the properties she owned. She loved it the most. And it was full of all her special stuff, sentimental stuff, not necessarily valuable stuff, but stuff that, you know, meant something to her. And when she married William Healis, you know, she, I think, you know, the rumour is all, well, she said it was too small for the two of them. It's not too small at all. But, you know, she just decided that they were going to live in Castle Cottage. So she kept it. And it was like her her sanctuary. And, and she kept that separately. So she would see fans at Hilltop um, if she chose to. If you were American, she loved you, you know. Um, but, you know, people... Which is funny, because yes. she didn't like how... Uh, how freely they like her. No, but they appreciated her writing more, I think. Um, and um, she, but if people came to Castle Cottage, Castle Cottage, she was Mrs. Healis and nothing else. So if people tried to find her, you know, it's quite well documented, you know, the times that she was incredibly rude to people that tried to go you know, and knock on the door at Castle Cottage or the Garden Gate and, and want to speak to Beatrix Potter. Um, that's really common. But there's a lovely book written by, a, well, what was a little girl, a lady called Willow Taylor. And she only died within the last couple of years. And she, her parents were publicans of the Tower Bank Arms. So she, you know, grew up with Beatrix as the neighbour. And um, it's quite clear that Beatrix was quite fierce to the local children on occasion. So as you say, if they were where they shouldn't be, if they were sitting on her walls or scrumping her apples or whatever. But she also talks about the fact that she, during the war, she gave away a lot of her clothing coupons. Like there was a local girl getting married and she gave her some coupons so she could buy some clothes, you know, and you know, for either for a wedding or a trousseau or something, whatever. Um, but a lot of that, you're right, isn't, isn't as well known. But there again, if she took a dislike to you, she really took a dislike to you. It's Farmer Potato, do you know the illustration of Farmer Potato? He was um, a local chap called was it, was it Bill Postlethwaite, I think it was Postlethwaite, and um, he lived locally, and she fell out with him. I think he was a farmer, and there was only ever, I think, two photographs of him ever, and one of them was him by his cottage, sort of looking behind him, and she turned him into Farmer Potato, and it's really unflattering. Um, so, um, you know, a bit of sense of humour yeah. as well. So in her lifetime, she bore in total, can you guess how many? I would guess 15 because that's in front of me. (laughs) In the notes. It's like you read my notes. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, she bought in total 15 farms to save them from predatory developers. And then after she died, she left most of, but not all of, the land and property to the National Trust. Um, I don't, Do you know what the National Trust is? You might want to give a little bit of a description to the listeners. I'll try. Okay. This is based on my personal experience. Sure. The National Trust um, own the stately homes that you visit as a child mm-hmm. and English Heritage own the castles. Oh, okay. It's like a charity that have, they own or like part own or support like old buildings or like historical sites so that they can remain for the people. Right. So developers won't get at them, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And so Beatrix Potter, staunch defender and supporter of the National Trust. So it's really fitting mm-hmm. that Hilltop National Trust. Yes. Is it the National it Trust? Is. It is. It the is the National, National yeah, Trust yeah, yeah. because I think if it weren't National Trust we would have been able to visit. We could yeah. have got in there. Yeah. <laughs> we could have broke Jimmy the window. Yeah. yeah. So you can still visit Hilltop and some of the other land that she preserved when you visit the Lake District National Park. And her home in London, I think, fittingly, was destroyed in the Blitz and is no, <laughs> is gone. <laughs> so she's probably yeah, glad. I think yeah. it's really. She's like, she's glad. I'm glad. If you want to find her, you've got to go to the Lake District, and that's where her heart was. And I just, yeah, I think it's poetry. What is like? What's your favorite room or bit of hilltop, or is there like a favorite object? Stumps people every time. I always think the bedroom's quite nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a nice place, isn't it? It's very peaceful in there. And it looks out over onto the farmyard at the back. Um, The wallpaper. I mean, the wallpaper's over 100 years old in there, William Morris, and she put that on there, and it's in, it's, it's in very good nick, is that wallpaper. The bed's in there, she embroidered the bed hangings, and then there's a nice quilt on the bed that she got from a friend of hers, an American friend called Rebecca Owen, who lived in Hawkshead. Yeah, I quite like it. I think it's a nice, peaceful room. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I love the painting. It's done by Bertram above the piano it's the is it the geese or ducks at sunset or some i think it's sunset flying over water i just love that piece um yeah i don't know really i I like the bits that i know exist that perhaps some people don't so there's a cupboard because upstairs when you get onto the landing there are lots and lots of doors and people say what what's in those rooms Mm -hmm. and we explain to people they're not rooms they're just cupboards, big, generous cupboards. I mean, obviously, the trust uses them for store, storage, you know, and etc. And you know, um, and I love. We, there's one we call it the Samuel Whiskers cupboard because yeah. in Roly Poly Pudding, you've got a, a line drawing and it's got a, uh, you know, he's, he's trapped, he's, he's trussed yeah. up in a in a room and it's got like a sort of it's like the inside of a boat, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. upturned boat. And obviously, she took that design from there. Um, and so I kind of like the Samuel Whiskers cupboard and it's got the most amazing lino on the floor, like that, you know, Victorian lino that's really, really thick and it's terracotta with all these flowers on it and it's all, you know, it's got huge areas where it isn't there anymore and it's all tatty, but it's this amazing pattern and this colour when you open up this funny little cupboard and, um, yeah. And 
there's, there's probably tens of tens, possibly a hundred keys to Hilltop. And one of the National Trust employees has them in a box and spends the year, because there's so many keyholes, any spare time, particularly in the winter season, she tries to fit keys to keyholes. I think, the, yeah, well, I think the previous house steward was there a long while and she probably instantly knew which yeah, key which fitted key which door. Mm -hmm. But now yeah. not. But I think Rosemary said but she I, found about the front door key is, is massive. I mean, it is huge. And I think the front door is so special and perhaps just think of her that day she got the key and just that. Do you watch Escape to the Chateau, that programme, yes. where they just opening <laughs> the key, open, open, her, turn, 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 yeah. and it just, yeah. imagine Beatrix that day just yeah. opening that door. Now, since Hilltop Farm was not open when we were visiting the Lake District, um, it is still on our literary bucket list. Um, we're going to get there, though. So I want to say a huge, huge thank you again to Carol, Trudy, and Janet from the Beatrix Potter Society for taking the time to talk to us and share some of their own experiences and insights. When we finally do visit, um, we're going to like hang with those guys and it's going to be all the more special. They were mad experts. That, like, that coffee yeah. shop talk was just like a very intense two hours of just like Beatrix fact, like one after the other. It was amazing. Those guys were great. And Lauren didn't include the edit, but my mum walked in because my <laughs> mum lives in the Lake District. She just walked in to the cafe we were in like halfway through and it's like, all right, mum. She's like, your stepdad's in the corner. It's like, hello. It was, it was great. That was the craziest <laughs> day too. Like we had literally just come from like Grassmere, um, which yeah. is just down the street. So I would love to do a little bit more about sort of the all the writers that hung out in the Lake District. And what's mm -hmm. crazy to me is like the Lake, Lake District is so big, but it feels like they were all sort of in this one like concentrated area. Well, because it's I think because it's like a national park, a lot of it is like wilderness or okay, little gotcha. mountains. Yeah, right? this is where they could, you know? this is where they could so live. So there were towns. Yeah. yeah. And you'd be in like the vicinity of a town and like yeah. maybe there'd be, you know, because like Grassmere, not big. Mm -mm. No, not at all. So, yeah. These um, all had to be very like fit writers too, because like all of those like hills and and mountains. It's and a mountains, lot. Some mountains. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like even more of a workout than the moors, I have to say. Yes. They're flat. You just need to get to the top. Yeah. And then you're there. But yeah. don't at us. <laughs> the moors aren't easy. <laughs> Listen, Lake District, not easy, but freaking beautiful. Really gorgeous. Mm. Like it was gorgeous to visit in November. And I'm sure it's um, even better in the spring, in the summer and early fall before it becomes really cold and then you get the damp. So if you would like to learn more about Beatrix Potter, um, I highly suggest going to BeatrixPotterSociety.org.uk. You can sign up for their newsletter. They also have um, a literary society that's very affordable. I also enjoy following them on Instagram at the Beatrix Potter Society for like all of their fun facts and um, plant pictures. Because just like, just like Beatrix, I am kind of like a sucker for gardening. 
One book that I actually would like to recommend is Beatrix Potter's Gardening Life, The Plants and Places That Inspired the Classic Children's Tales. This is by uh, Marta McDowell, and I really, really love it. It's gorgeous, like beautiful illustrations. Um, Marta also did the Emily Dickinson's Gardening Life book as well, which I also highly recommend. Um, But I think the uh, Potter one will give you a good idea of just, you know, what's going on in the Lake District, what kind of plants are up there. And um, yeah, just gorgeous. Love it. And I would just, I cannot recommend it enough. Beatrix Potter's Letters. um, There's a selection edited by Judy Taylor and it's wonderful and she is a wonderful letter writer and it includes like images of like some of the story letters that she wrote to the children and like Mm. illustrations of products and stuff um and just all sorts of really good stuff about copyright and those bloody americans bootlegging (laughs) peter rabbit and yeah (laughs) her total steamy flirty romance with her publisher uh, and I would also recommend the Linda Lear Beatrix Potter biography that I think is mentioned a ton of times in the interview but really good I would recommend reading both of them together actually that's why I did nice go forth guys um it's interesting Beatrix is really the first like solely children's author that we've covered yes. on the show I think and um yeah, we've kind of overlooked her, I think, for a couple of seasons. And then Hannah sort of, you know, picked up. I don't know. I don't know what first sparked your interest in Beatrix Potter. The Peter Rabbit doll that she made in, I think, 1904, because um, Harrod started, like, bootlegging Peter Rabbit dolls. Rude, And Harrods. I was like, yeah, so she basically, she made, like, the first patent for a character and then just went mad and was like, now I'm going to make a board game. Now we're going to make tea sets. Now we're going to make wallpaper. She like created licensing, was, essentially. Yeah, basically. And people would just say crazy shit to her. Like this woman wrote to her and said, um, oh, uh, I'm going to make some like wallpaper based on your designs. Mm. Uh, like, can you, will you like let your publisher know or something like that? It referenced her publisher. And Beatrix, the letter is written to Beatrix Potter and she's just like, no, <laughs> no, I'm going to do my that money. And make money off like, of it. Are you crazy? And then I think one of, she's like, can she even draw rabbits? <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of it was like quality control as well. Mm-hmm. So she was really involved in the process of all of it. And that was, it's just fascinating um, in many ways. So I know we didn't see Hilltop, but we were up there in the Lake District and we've got lots of pictures. So if you guys want to check those out. You can find them on the socials. And Hannah, what are what are those? You can find us as always on Instagram and Twitter at Bonnets at Dawn. You can email us, bonnets at dawn at gmail.com, and you can join our Facebook group by searching for Bonnets at Dawn. And we're there. And we're chatty. And it's a good time. Yeah, sounds good. All right, guys. Um, we will be seeing you next week, and I hope you will continue to send in pictures and stories uh, from literary sites that you have visited. 